Hey there, welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas, and in today's episode, I am joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Tracy Dalgleish. Dr. Tracy is a clinical psychologist and couples therapist based in Canada, and in today's episode, we are talking about the impact of postpartum mental health on your partner relationship. If you or your partner or both of you are struggling with either anxiety or depression after your baby is born, this can also take a toll on your relationship. So in this episode, I share a little bit about our own experience in my partner relationship and Dr. Tracy shares real tangible tips and tools for reconnecting and finding each other again amidst the postpartum haze. I'm so excited that you're tuning in. I cannot wait to share this episode with you. So let's dive in. listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three, and I support mamas just like you who want a supported, loving, and rested postpartum so that you can flourish in that first year with baby. In this podcast, I'm sharing my conversations with perinatal experts from around the world and with parents who've been through it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, my friend, Dr. Tracy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to dive into our topic today. But first and foremost, how are you doing, my friend? Oh, goodness. Well, yeah, that's a loaded question. (laughs) It really is. It's such a loaded question. (laughs) In the world right now, if we contextualize that, I mean, what I will say is I just have so much gratitude for having this moment with you today of being able Mm. to have this privilege to connect with you. You know, I was really thinking about how social media has been this beautiful space of connecting with people and allowing me to stalk really cool therapists like you at the beginning (laughs) and then getting to know you and working with you. So how am I doing today? I would like to say just, I'm so grateful to be here and sitting with Mm. you, Dr. Cassie, talking about such an important topic. Oh, well, I, you are the person to dive into this with. Um, So what we're exploring today together is postpartum mental health, mood and anxiety disorders, but how it intersects, intersects with, and like interweaves with being in a partner relationship and Mm -hmm. the challenges that can come when one or both partners, because if you have one that's struggling, the research shows that the other is more at risk for struggling as well with depression, anxiety. So I'm really excited to talk about this with you. But before we dive in, can you share with us a little bit about your context and your background and the work that you do and why you're passionate about the work that you do? Mm -hmm. I am a clinical psychologist and couples therapist here in Ottawa, Ontario, and I help individuals and couples navigate the challenges that we all face in our relationships and within ourselves to ultimately create a more meaningful life. And I do this through one-on-one and couple therapy, through wellness seminars and webinars, and then more recently, I guess, 
this year will mark three years being on Instagram, but mostly my work outside of the therapy room. And, you know, I can remember, so I am a mom of two uh, young kids, so they are six and three and a half. And I'm also the owner of a mental health clinic here in Ottawa. It's called Integrated Wellness. And I can remember when I started my Instagram space, being in the basement of one of our long Canadian winters with my six-month-old at the time, nursing her on the couch and just trying to be present in all that motherhood has to offer and listening to other people in the media, whether it was on Instagram or on TV and being really disappointed by what was being shared out to other people. And especially knowing just how vulnerable we are in that postpartum period and how unprepared we are when it comes to our connection with our partners. I mean, I think most people can say they did not take a course on communication and preparing their relationship for baby when they were pregnant. Yeah. So that's oh really gosh. where my passion came from was seeing this advice being put out there that wasn't necessarily helpful or maybe even in line with what the research shows and really wanting to reach more people. So making what I do every single day in my office more accessible, because I know, and particularly during this pandemic, we don't have the supports to come to our house or to drop the kids off if we are looking for therapy. Our financial capabilities have changed, so we may not be able to afford going to therapy, or we might not even have the time or our partners are not interested. So really, I wanted to make what I do every single day more accessible. And I do that coming from my training as a clinical psychologist and also what it means to be a mom of two and also a partner. Our missions and our values are so in alignment, <laughs> Tracy. I mean, that is that was exactly the reason I got on as well. I think accessibility is one of my main values. That's my guiding light in terms of the work that I'm doing in the digital space. And you're so right that so many parents now are turning to social media and their handheld devices mm -hmm. to seek out support and connection community and find resources. And, you know, gosh, there's a lot of misinformation out there and there can be a lot of challenges <laughs> navigating the digital space as well. It's definitely a double-edged sword, but um, I think that you are one of those amazing resources that people can find and you're, there's such a warmth about you and wisdom and you bring those two things together, the wisdom and the warmth, and it's so inviting. And I just, I love the way that you build, build a bridge through your platform for folks who are struggling to find support, to not feel so alone, and then to really find the like tangible like tools for getting themselves back to a place of living their life again, um, feeling connected to their partners and connected to themselves and connected to their children. So I am such a fan and I'm so grateful to call you a friend. So I am really, really excited for us to talk more about the way in which postpartum struggles as it relates to mental health um, are interwoven when it comes to your partner relationship. So let's let's start with talking about some of the symptoms 
that people can experience when they're struggling with depression or anxiety during pregnancy or after their baby is born and beyond. And then maybe you can kind of help us unpack how some of these symptoms can actually impact the relationship. So how do they show up like relationally? So, you know, some of the symptoms that come to mind for me are, you know, you're going to have challenges when it comes to energy levels, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Depression can definitely impact energy. Things that you used to be interested in are no longer going to be of interest to you. It can impact concentration. It can impact, um, you know, you can have thoughts of guilt, thoughts of shame. You can Mm -hmm. find yourself feeling really distracted by all the scary thoughts and all-consuming mental space that, you know, depression and anxiety can take up. Definitely can impact your sleep. Um, You can have thoughts of feeling like people will be better off without you, right? Feelings of wanting to escape. Um, And gosh, I mean, it can impact obviously intimacy um, and your desire to um, have people in close proximity, right? Because that that you're already feeling so vulnerable, but to let people into that vulnerability. Um, but then it, there also can be symptoms of irritability, of uh, rage, of anger, um, frustration, and and these are just these are just some of the symptoms. And so, what are the ways in which some of these symptoms of these you know experiences of anxiety, depression, how can these show up or impact the partner relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you did a great list there of identifying some of those key symptoms. And, you know, when I think of one of the things I really want to highlight is that, you know, oftentimes we think of someone experiencing depression as laying on the couch, not being able to do anything, not being able to care for baby. And while that certainly can be true for some people who are experiencing postpartum depression, it isn't always the case. And so that's not the only thing that we would want to look at that. Oftentimes we also see a lot of that irritability and anger. And, you know, the term more and more mothers are recognizing is mom rage, feeling that rage come over you and that these symptoms are impacting your daily functioning. So, and part of that is what that looks like with your relationship. So even if it's not with a partner specifically, um, it might also be with other caregivers or other friendships that are showing up. So one of the biggest things that we would start to see is really that sense of disconnection between two people. And that is, it could look like not sharing our feelings and not sharing how we're doing and letting our partners in and know what it is that's happening for us. But then there's this sense of moving inwards that all of the depression tells us to do, right? So a common scary thought that comes up for for mothers is I'm a terrible mother. And we might then blame ourselves and hold all of that shame for ourselves, but then we don't share that with our partner. And every time there are things that come up for us that we don't share, we're going inwards. And when we go inwards, we're turning away from our partner rather than turning towards them and leaning on them to create connection. Mm. And so ultimately what happens then is sometimes our other partner who is perhaps not experiencing any symptoms or struggles in their mental health, are they're left feeling really confused and they're not sure what's going on. They don't know how to support them. And the other thing I'm seeing is that partners don't know how to communicate what they need. So again, this 
big experience is coming over you. You are already adjusting to motherhood and all of the demands that are happening for you. And you don't know how to turn to your partner to then say, something doesn't feel good. I need help. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and I want to, you know, because a majority of my research has actually been looking at the impact that, um, partners, particularly dads, can experience um, when it comes to postpartum depression. You know, this was something that we we experienced with our first. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't know that postpartum depression was something that partners or dads could also experience. So we didn't have a name for it or an understanding of how it can manifest or show up in the non-birthing partner. But gosh, when he was struggling, um, and again, because because people are less likely, much less likely to assess the non-birthing partner um, and dads, um, nobody was asking him. So we did not get help for quite a bit of time, but uh-huh. he was struggling and the impact that it had on our relationship was huge. I mean, I found myself feeling um, resentment because he was, you know, you were talking about the turning inward. Um, and there's, there's definitely, I know for me, if I'm struggling with anxiety, I'm more likely to turn inward with it. Um, and just sort of like be in my head about it. Um, and then for him though, there was a lot more of the, um, like escapist sort of behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm like, I'm struggling with, he was struggling with depression and for him, he felt helpless. And now, now we know this after doing so much work, right? Like he was feeling helpless and feeling a lot of shame around it and didn't want me to see that, right? And the vulnerability was too much. And so for him, it was much more easy to go to work or um, to like just leave the house, you know? Um, And gosh, there was uh, so much resentment because here I am trying to navigate breastfeeding and I'm sleep deprived and it feels like my partner is not present. Um, He was irritable because that was how the depression manifested for him. Lots of headaches and stomach aches. And it was really difficult um, because I was like, I need you here. And Mm -hmm. he was struggling. um, And I didn't know that that's what was happening. I didn't understand that it was depression. And once we, once I, once we did, gosh, to have a name for it was powerful. And then to get support around it was so helpful um, because then for our second, you know, we were prepared and he was much more prepared. We had done a lot of work to repair some of the um, ruptures in our relationship and um, the resentment and the pain that was experienced for both of us during that period of time. And then going into our second, you know, he was able to be proactive and um, he was on an antidepressant. Um, he had gotten off of it, but got back on um, proactively for himself and started seeing his therapist again. And we were so much more prepared that second time. But oh my gosh, it I, really impacted our relationship. I think that is so important that you say that because one of the most common questions I get from uh, women considering having their second child is, I don't want to go back to that dark place. I don't want to experience those mm-hmm. symptoms again. I'm so fearful to have another child because of how hard it was for either themselves, the partner or their relationship, that they're really fearful of that. And, you know, I think one of the healing things around that is remembering how much that you have learned and how much growth you have experienced since those first 
days, weeks, months, or years that that can mm-hmm. help you then prepare and plan and seek out the resources before having another baby. Just mm-hmm. like as you're saying, your partner did in that sense, right? Like it's it's so important that we lean on those supports that we're not going inwards and being alone with this and trying to find a name and support for that. Yeah. And, and part of that work was, was work that he did individually, but there was a lot of couples work that had to happen there too. We sought out couples therapy. Um, in addition, because, because there was the, for me, the resentment. Um, so that some of the feelings that, you know, were coming up were I was feeling resentful. He was feeling helpless. Um, he was also though feeling, alone, you know, um, in his experience, like there was a lot going on inwardly. Like I, I mentioned that there's a lot of escapist behaviors that I think sometimes can be a symptom, um, of just like, you know, going to work and staying out of the house or, um, even having thoughts of just wanting to escape, you know, or sometimes escapist behaviors can also look like substance use, um, drinking, um, smoking, um, using, other drugs, um, video games, like social media, you know, television. And there's a lot of ways in which we can escape, but, um, you know, there was, he, he was also, he was also experiencing feeling disconnect from me as well. Um, I was experiencing anxiety and had no sex drive, no libido. Um, the way in which he desires like reconnection often is through touch and intimacy and, you know, depression and anxiety can definitely impact, um, that as well. And so, you know, now you have a couple that is having less time for each other just because that comes with, um, parenting and postpartum, right? Um, and less times for repairing when ruptures do happen, but less time for intimacy, connection, there's the resentment and gosh, throw in some depression and anxiety. And it's, it's a real, it could be a real struggle. And research has indicated that if one partner is struggling, it's mm-hmm. more likely that the other partner is going to struggle as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, what do, you, what do you see with the couples that you work with when it comes to one or both partners struggling? Yeah, I, I mean, that's definitely something that comes up is a lot of resentment there and a lot of that disconnection. They're not able to see the other person's internal experience. That is one of the most, like, that is the most common thing that I see with couples is that this underneath stuff, right? You're saying your partner was feeling helpless and alone, but you didn't see that. You you were mm. feeling resentful towards what the outside stuff was, which was your partner escaping. And really yeah. what your partner, right? This is, so this is what I see. I often see that it does tend to be more of the male partner going inward and escaping or withdrawing. And if we go to the research, we know from Gottman's couples lab is that when they hook up for a heterosexual relationship, that when they do the physiological markers, so, you know, your heart rate, sweat glands, if you look at that, then uh, we see that for men, their response system goes through the roof when they're talking about conflict. Whereas for Mm -hmm. a woman's nervous, or not necessarily nervous system, but her responses to the physiological markers don't go up as high as their male partners. So that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a It's a common theme and the research shows about 80% of couples shows that the female partner tends to be more of the pursuing or critical or reaching towards their partner, whereas Mm -hmm. the male partner tends to be the one that shuts down. 
And so that's the theme that really shows up is that the male partner has shut down and the mother is reaching and looking for support and not able to get that. And then they get into this negative interaction cycle where they can't talk about their core needs and longings because Mm -hmm. both people are just trying to survive. They're looking for safety. They're looking for connection. And it's impossible to try to get that when you're stuck Mm -hmm. in that cycle. Oh my gosh, it can be such a painful cycle. This pursuer distancer dynamic that you're describing here is, oh my gosh, so common, um, right? I mean, I think that ninety-five percent of the couples that I work with, like at some level, there's this pursuer distancer dynamic that's happening, um, and they're just caught in this sort of cycle of, like you said wanting to feel seeking safety because as humans that's what our brain is wired to do is to find safety and we feel we do the way we survive is through connection and community right and building relationships we're social beings and so we're seeking that um, but if your partner is withdrawing if your partner is struggling right with depression or anxiety um, or some sort of postpartum mood or anxiety disorder, it's so much harder to to reach them, to connect with each other, to communicate effectively. I mean, gosh, if you're, I mean, let's, even without depression and anxiety, like mm-hmm. sleep deprivation is a beast, right? And if you're sleep yeah. deprived, it actually impacts the part of your brain that is going to allow you to communicate effectively. Um, and so everything's just going to feel rougher around the edge. And I know that was the case for me. You know, my partner was struggling, but I'm feeling alone. I'm trying to navigate sleep deprivation, anxiety, the new baby. But anytime I try to put a bid out to him to reconnect or to find out what's going on, mm-hmm. it was so rough. <laughs> like just the way I was communicating was so rough around the edges that it just kept missing. We just kept missing each other, right? right. Um, we kept and- missing each other. I, I think the other thing here, because I know we talked about depression and anxiety can often lead us to go inward, but with within that irritability and rage, it can also lead us to be outward. So we can get more critical yeah. or blame our partners more because this feeling that we're having is so incredibly uncomfortable and difficult that we're finding any way to deal with it. So, you know, your partner happens to be trying to soothe baby and isn't getting it right and you snap at your partner saying, I'll just do it myself. And Mm. then that's where we see that outward rage and irritability come up, which again, then leads into that cycle because your partner might then become critical back at you saying, oh, well, you think you can always do it right? Or they might shut down and withdraw or get defensive. Yeah. Yeah. And what's underneath that that out that defensiveness or that anger, right? Like, I mean, just the the scenario you just you just described right here. I mean, very common one, right? Um, there's even words for it: maternal gatekeeping. You know, yes, like you I'm, I'm gonna if you you can't do it right, I'm just gonna do it myself. Um, right. And or or if you're gonna help me and do it, I'm going to control how you're doing it, right? I'm gonna um, tell you how, how to can do it. it. Right. And what can be underneath that behavior, right? So if I jump in and I'm like, oh, just do it myself is like, you know, 
for me, if I'm struggling with anxiety, what is my anxiety seeking and desiring? Control, right? If I feel like I can be in control, then I feel like I'm going to feel safer and less. My hope is that that's going to soothe my anxiety. Um, but for my partner, maybe under under like and for the, for them in that moment, it's maybe like confirmation that like, gosh, like I I do feel I'm I am helpless. Like I don't know how to do this. Like I've never held a baby before, and now my partner's like correcting me and telling me, confirming that I can't do this. And now I'm feeling worse about myself. But while I might not show my partner that, you know, I'm actually feeling helpless and like feeling like, I, like maybe I don't know how to be a parent or how to be a dad. Mm-hmm. What's going to come out is not that vulnerability, um, potentially, right? But defensiveness back. I'm going to, I'm going to meet your, your, your attack with an attack right back. And now that's sort of that cycle, right? Where, where, where we keep missing the mark that underneath this irritability, this defensiveness, this criticism, this, um, this outburst rage underneath all of that are two people who are experiencing one of the most vulnerable experiences of a lifetime, right? Becoming a parent, of caring for a newborn, of navigating this new role and this new identity and this new way of being with each other because now it's not just us two. There's another little person here and it feels like the stakes are really high. We want to do this well, Um, but we're also both really vulnerable to depression and anxiety postpartum for physiological reasons and just logistical (laughs) emotional reasons, right? you know, and so it's just such a tender time, but we miss that we, we we tend to miss the mark of that tenderness with each other. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And we're just in survival in that space. And I like to remind couples that likely these patterns were quietly whispering there beforehand. They didn't just come out of nowhere. They were probably yes. there before in some way. But now you've just added on all of this stress, this this joyful and difficult time. And it, it's going to tax your relationship. And again, going back to that space, we don't learn how to communicate. We don't know how to communicate our needs and feelings in effective ways to bring people closer to us. Our parents may not have modeled it to us. We often don't take courses on those kinds of things. And we certainly didn't prepare for when baby came. And like that, that is such an important piece. And it's one of the things that I teach my members in my online program, Be Connected, is just how can you share your feelings and what you need so that your partner doesn't go into that defensive space or that critical and reactive space so that maybe there's a chance of being heard and trying something mm-hmm. different in your relationship instead of building all of this resentment. Mm. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, about ways that we can like lean into each other, right? Um, as partners during this time. So how can partners support each other when depression or anxiety or some sort of mental health, um, struggle is being experienced by, by one partner, um, or both. Um, and then how, how do we move through the guilt or shame when you're struggling? Cause I know that that can sometimes be a roadblock, right? Before we can reach out to our partner, um, there might be some guilt or shame about the things that we're experiencing or the way that we reacted or whatever whatever the case might be. So what are some ways that partners can begin to turn towards each other? 
You know, I think one of the most important things we can do is to start bringing awareness and acknowledging what it is that is happening. So again, if there's something going on inside of us, turning towards your partner and putting it out there, it's like dipping your toe in. And and I'm saying dipping your toe in because I know for some people, they don't feel comfortable sharing this vulnerable stuff, but it is something that we need to do in order to support each other and to move through this. And if you happen to be the other partner that is noticing this in your partner, you can also dip your toe in doing kind of a tentative response of, you know, I notice that something is a bit different. Can you maybe help me understand what's going on inside of you? Mm -hmm. And offering that open space to talk about this. And I think one of the most important things that we need to remember around this is that I know that you love your partner and that you want the best for them. However, when you go into fixing and problem solving mode, you are dismissing what is happening right in front of you. And your partner mm-hmm. needs you to just sit in and hold space for whatever is showing up right there, even when it's messy and uncomfortable and scary, right? Because those mm-hmm. intrusive thoughts that come up can feel really scary. And trusting that when you can sit beside your partner in that really hard moment, something can something small can start to shift just by doing that. Okay. So a couple of things I'm hearing you, a couple of things I'm hearing you say. So there's, there's the power of, of vulnerability, which is scary, right? It feels like a risk. Um, and, but such a meaningful risk, right? Like when you look at something as a cycle and you look at a couple dynamic, a lot of times the power of looking at things as a cycle, um, is that you're looking at this, we're, we're, we're stripping away, we're taking away the blame game, right? Is this isn't like, when I'm working with a couple, I'm not going to sit there and decide, figure out whose fault it is. Because at the end of the day, this is the way that we're interacting with each other, the way, the way we're relating to each other, the way we're responding to each other. Um, and so if you look at something like a cycle, there isn't a beginning, meaning like A led to B led to C, so therefore it's A's fault. We're looking at more how these behaviors and underlying emotions are relating to each other within the couple dynamic. But what I hear you saying here is that when we can in, in, inject <laughs> into the cycle, mm-hmm. like I'm picturing a circle, like I'm going to inject into the cycle some vulnerability, some a willingness to take the meaningful risk of being vulnerable with your partner, which is going to inclu- incorporate a softening, right? Like I'm going to, I'm softening by opening up and being vulnerable. That when we do that, it's going to shift the dynamic because if I am going to soften, it's going to be um, the, 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 the hope is, and most often what's going to happen is your partner is going to receive that softening and soften themselves. Right. Um, and, and then that you're going to feel so much more heard in that space. And then both of you get a chance to feel heard in what you're experiencing. What I'm also hearing you say is that there's different types of communication. There's communicating with the goal to problem solve. And then there's communicating with the goal to actually hear each other, right? To be heard, um, to share what it is that you're experiencing. And, you know, I think that there's definitely based on how we've been socialized, um, 
you know, someone who identifies as male is more likely going to communicate with the goal of problem solving just based on socialization. Um, And then someone who identifies as a woman is more likely to communicate um, with the goal of um, connection, right? And being heard um, and or hearing. And that's just based on socialization. But then when you get these two people together for a heterosexual relationship, um, or just if people have the even for a relationship that is not heterosexual, if both come in with different ideas in mind of what it is that the goal is for engaging in this communication with each other, it's so easy to get lost in translation. Like I'm yes. like I'm looking to be heard and you're jumping in to try to solve this for me and I feel like you're not even listening, right? Um, whereas the partner who's trying to solve is like, but I'm just trying to help. Like, yeah. and then we just leave, we leave it and we leave the, the dialogue in frustration, right? Hey there, your host, Dr. Cassidy, popping in with a quick message for those of you who are expecting or already in the thick of it postpartum and you're resonating with some of the themes of this episode or wanting to prepare your partner relationship before baby comes. I have two resources for you. Prepared postpartum is my self-paced digital course with an OBGYN with video lessons for you and your partner to watch together as you're getting ready for baby's arrival. There's lessons in there about building communication skills and really identifying your unique cycle as a couple and working through some of your communication pitfalls and some of those challenges before your baby comes and you're in the thick of it. There's also video lessons to help both of you put in place all of the protective factors when it comes to mood and anxiety disorders for the both of you. And then Flourish in the First Year is for those of you who are already in the thick of it with lessons about partner relationships, building communication skills, and there's a libido lab. This lesson is fire. For those of you who are struggling with intimacy and want to feel reconnected to each other, this video lesson will meet you right where you're at. You can learn more about both of these at the link in the show notes. All right, you ready? Let's get back to the episode. Yeah. And what I say to to people around this is do a little bit of front loading. If you're going to take this big leap and it's the first time that you're really sharing this with your partner and you want to make sure you get what you need, if you need them to just listen to you, start the conversation by saying that. And this isn't a door handle conversation. This isn't when your partner is about to fall asleep or, you know, they're leaving for work or the baby is crying and needing something. This is a conversation where you're both sitting at the table or on the couch. There's no distractions and you're able to say, I want to tell you something that is really big and this is hard for me and what I need you to do. So you can ask your partner, I don't want you to problem solve. I just need you to listen to what I'm about to share to you. And it cues them, it cues their brain to say, oh, okay, I'm going to listen to what you're saying. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's so helpful and so important. Are there some sort of general ideas around communication that you think all couples could really benefit from hearing about, um, especially as it relates to um, work a couple where one partner is maybe struggling with more anxiety or is struggling with feeling depressed um, after their baby is born? Just some some general communication ideas. Um, do you have any of those to offer? Yeah. You, you know, one of the things that I, I always like to look at my couples as two different parts. So one part is 
what is the within stuff? What is the intrapersonal piece that I'm bringing to this relationship? How do I contribute here? And when it comes to communication around this piece, I would be curious to explore about my messaging around what it means to reach out for help. What beliefs do I have? Um, maybe what limiting beliefs do I have that are stopping me from asking for help and making space for myself? So it's, this is this is the internal stuff that allows you to start to get really curious about what's happening in your relationship. Um, mm. What do I do in our relationship that stops me from getting the help that I need? And again, you've already mentioned, Cassidy, maternal gatekeeping. You know, self-sacrificing is such a big one that shows up for many mothers. And it's really interesting when we connect this to resentment because Research shows that for, for couples, when one partner self-sacrifices, that initially they do feel a positive view towards their partner for having made a self-sacrifice, but then in the long term, they actually have negative views of their partner. So initially we might be giving up, you know, oh no, I'll, I'll take care of baby. I'll do all the night feedings because we think we're helping our partner. But over time, that could be a recipe to build resentment. Yeah. Um, other kind of the other piece of like minimizing our own struggles. So, so where do we start? Well, first we want to make sure we're not getting stuck and sorry, that's the intrapersonal piece. And then if I go into the between piece, this is the, how do we communicate together? What's happening between us? Am I critical? Am I defensive? Does my partner stonewall or shut down? Is there contempt between us? So if we were to think of some really specific tips and tools that you can use, you know, one of the biggest things you can do is start to get really clear on expressing what you're feeling and connecting that to a need. And that could be something like, instead of saying, you're always on your phone, this is a big one that's coming up right now, particularly mm-hmm. in the, context of the pandemic, you're always on your phone. Well, when, when you say that, it's, it's critical. Anytime someone says always or never, it's a critical attack on someone else's personality or their decisions or their character. So you can instead shift inwards. What are you feeling in this moment? How do you feel and what is it that you need? I feel stressed. I feel exhausted. Mm -hmm. I feel anxious. I'm so overwhelmed. And then connect that to what you need. I need, I need time away. I need, I need a break. I need to go do yoga. I need to go for a walk. I need to be away from baby and have time for me. So I think that can be a really clear shift that anyone can use in their relationship. The shifting from focusing externally onto you and then going internally to I feel and connecting that to a need. Mm. Oh my gosh, yes. Because what that's doing there is like you're saying, it's moving away from that sort of criticism, right, and defensiveness, which which is just going to be potentially met back, right, with frustration, anger, defensiveness, and or whatever um, the case might be. But it's 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 again, it's 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 softening by owning what it is that you're feeling and not assuming that your partner can read your mind too. I mean, I know that for me and my partner. Yeah, for me and my partner, there's one. That's one of our big our challenges. Um, we've been together since we were in high school, so we, we, we. Sometimes when we get in conflict, we kind of revert back to some of these like, um, more like immature, like you know, sort of ways of engaging with each other. Um, and so, gosh, it. it, it but it's one like of the, the things, nattering, right? Yes. Like, yeah. I, 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 my partner, I can totally get into that space. We just kind of like natter at each other, and it's like it's not effective. 
we kind of know yeah. we're doing it. It's like an itch. You just need to scratch it and go at it for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And we've definitely gotten to a place where sometimes we literally will just scratch the itch and then we like can, we're like smirking at each other while we're doing yeah. it um, because we both have done the work to know that it's not effective. <laughs> you know, so I share that to just so that people know, like I'm a marriage therapist and like, do I have a perfect marriage? Oh my gosh. No, nobody does. All relationships take work, right? We all have our stuff. Um but one of the things that we'll struggle with is like, I'll just assume that he can read my mind and he'll, and he'll say the thing back to me too. He's like, he's like, well, you know, we've been together for so long that it's like, you know, right? Like you just know me. So you should know. And it's like, no, I can't read your mind. Like, and he right. can't read mine. And it's, it's, it's so, it's so powerful. It seems so simple, but it's so powerful to just take the step of, yes, going inward to acknowledge what is it that I'm needing or feeling right now? And can I can I share that from a place of ownership, right, instead of finger pointing or blame? Um, and that tends to also uh, contribute to the softening, right, because it tends to be a more vulnerable share than, than what else, than the, than the other ways of engaging with each other, right? I have to add one more here because what I often see happening yeah. for the women that I work with is that well, and I would argue the men as well, but the we express our needs in very unclear ways. So we th- say things like, I need help. I don't, I don't know what that means. So I always like to kind of joke with my clients and say, like, if I were a fly in the wall, what would I see your partner doing that is helping you? Or we mm. express our by saying something negative. I don't want you on your phone. Or you you didn't do the dishes. So we, we state the negatives rather than saying, you know, I'm trying to think of something like, when when the counters are clean, if, if my partner is in the kitchen, I, I could say, oh gosh, I'm just feeling so overwhelmed right now. The counters are just chaotic. And this is a time where when I'm stressed and the counters are like this, I feel stressed and I need them to be cleared tonight. Could we do that together? Or could you help me with mm-hmm. that? And so then that's really clear. He knows what's happening on my inside and what the kind of expectation, need, and wish is rather than just saying the house is a mess. You need to clean up. You never help out. Yeah. Mm. Oh my gosh. That is so, I love the, if I was a fly on the wall um, prompt as well, right? Because then it, it encourages us then to, to go to the like day to day, like what would, what would you see? You know, what would you see? And then how can I get really specific about what that would look like and what I need, right? And how can that help inform me what it is that I need? I love that. Okay, so if somebody's listening right now, um, Dr. Tracy, and they are wondering, okay, I think that me and my partner could really use support. Um, what are some ways in which people can take steps to find support? And also, what are the things that you offer that could be supportive to couples as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And before I do that, can I actually add something just to the other one? Because I think this one is yeah, so important. And this is something that I don't think we do enough of. And that is if you ask the first time and nothing shifted, ask again. We know Mm. in our relationships that we have these perpetual problems. And again, Cassidy, you know, you you and I connect on this. We we often talk about how our relationships are not perfect. And as a couples therapist, my relationship is not perfect. And we have these perpetual issues that show up in our relationship. And one of the ones I've accepted is how our phones show up in our life. And we are continuously going back and forth about what is the phone use? What does this look like? How are we connecting? And I like to remind people that 
even if you've asked once, you're going to have to ask again. Because when you, when you sign up with a partner, you are agreeing to a certain set of problems that will always be there. It's not a make or break in your relationship. But then what is important is learning how to communicate what it is that you need, asking for help. And ultimately, what your question is here is, okay, now how can you get the help to shift through that stuff? One of the biggest barriers that I see happening is that your partner may not be on board. So I often, this is one of the reasons why I created Be Connected is because I was hearing from so many women that their male partners in heterosexual relationships, their partner wasn't on board for therapy. And so they would wait and wait and wait to do anything for help. And we know that the longer we wait, the more distress is likely going to show up. We we just know that from the research. So how important it is to be able to reach out for help if it's not for you as a couple, it is for you that you can change how you show up in the relationship, change how you are dealing with your anxiety and depression. You can find that individual support. So that could be like going to the postpartum support international space, going to postpartum.net and looking for some resources there. If you're looking for a therapist in your area now with the pandemic, it's one of the best times because many, if not all therapists are online now offering Zoom sessions within the state or province that they're licensed in, which is fantastic because that does make therapy more accessible. Um, But then also let's go to some of the other resources that there are books available that you can read. There are online programs. I know you have an excellent program my program space that people can start to get help and change these things. Mm. Oh, and I'm going to make sure to include links to your, your offerings and your resources in the show notes as well for anybody who's listening and, and wants to dive in, dive in further to that. Tracy, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, this was so helpful. I love how you draw a big picture and then you get down to the real nitty gritty, like in the moment, here's what we can be doing. I love that about you. And I really personally appreciate that approach um, myself. And so where can people find you and your offerings? Yes, absolutely. I hang out on Instagram. I'm usually giving tips and tools on my posts and stories, and that's dr.tracyd. And you can also find me on my website, Dr. Tracy. Tracy is T-R-A-C-Y, drtracyd.com. And in terms of my online program, it's called Be Connected. And in this space, I help women and couples learn how to communicate and rebuild that connection so that we can have a healthy relationships with our partner and really to offload that resentment, to learn how to share our feelings and needs and to improve our intimacy. And I am hearing from so many of the women in the program that they are making these small, powerful shifts that are happening in their relationships. And it's just so cool to see. So cool to see. Mm, it's the best. It's the best, right? Because you you have – and I love, I love, you know, coming full circle to what you were talking about in the beginning about accessibility. You know, not everybody is going to um, uh-huh. seek out couples therapy. And, and sometimes it's, you know, it feels just safer, you know, to enroll yeah. in something and to learn um, yourself even as an individual and then to enlist your partner. Um, yeah. And I know that, gosh, like, I know that your course is impacting, your program is impacting so many couples and 
even just what you offer on social media for free is like <laughs> incredible. So I hope that the listeners will will go and give you a follow if they aren't already a part of your community. Tracy, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and have this conversation. I'm so grateful to know you and be connected to you. Thank you, Cassidy. And thank you to everyone for listening in today. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified OBJN to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me into part of your day today. I'm so grateful, and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.